This afternoon's reading is from Micah chapter 4 and the first five, sorry, the first four verses of chapter 5. In the passage, Micah gives a prophecy of the establishment of the mountain of the Lord's temple and of a coming ruler from Bethlehem. Chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour. Rise in agony, daughter Zion, like a woman in labour, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler, on the cheek with a, with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you. Uh, Notice a bit of a theme through that passage, labour, childbirth. So I thought I'd run with it uh, in the intro. Uh, Birth uh, is a wonderful miracle, isn't it? Birth is a wonderful miracle. Uh, But it can also be hard... Uh, as we heard in the passage. Uh, Labour was quite difficult with my first daughter. That's a picture of uh, 
Josie 14 years ago. But Liz got through it. I don't say we because really my wife Liz did all the work. Not me. And she did it again and she did it again. Why would you keep doing it? When you know what's involved, why would you keep going? Well, it's that expectation, right? It's, it's the expectation that there's a precious baby, a child, waiting on the other side. Uh, I imagine at work sometimes things get quite difficult. You're in a difficult project. You're working with a difficult team, a difficult boss. Why do you keep going back to work each day? It's that expectation you'll get that project done, that maybe things will get better. It's really actually hard to be in a job when it doesn't look like it's going to get better. Hope is powerful. It gives us the strength to endure all kinds of hardship. Now, there's hope in general, but there's also a distinctly Christian hope. It's like a straining forward and eyes scanning the horizon type hope, anchoring God's promise of resurrection and an eternal future in the new creation. That's Christian hope. And that hope has sustained Christians through the ages, through all kinds of fiery trials, to love their neighbours, to love their enemies and to stay faithful to God. And it's this kind of hope that God gives his people and that he gives us today. We know a little bit about the background of Micah. We've heard it over the last couple of weeks when he prophesied Judah's back is against the wall. Their idolatry, their greed, their rampant injustice meant that God's judgment was coming through Assyria and through Babylon, two of the ancient Near East powers of the time. And we heard that bleak story last week. That's the situation now in Judah as we read. Verse 10. uh, Ride in agony, daughter Zion, for now you must leave the city to camp in an open field. Verse 11. But now many nations are gathered against you. 5.1. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. Well, we know from history and from the scriptures that Assyria did destroy the northern kingdom in 722 BC. But because of God's mercy and his grace, Judah was spared. They escaped. They were delivered. But Judah's sin was persistent. It was prevalent. And so their destruction was inevitable. And so soon Judah would be invaded and uh, taken into exile by the Babylonians. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 10. You will go to Babylon. Jerusalem will be destroyed. You will be scattered among the nations. That's what it says there. Uh, in our passage. And so Micah's message to Judah really is, your world is about to end and it's your fault and there's nothing you can do about it. It's a pretty uh, bleak kind of message. Bring back the prophet who promised wine and beer, I say. Well, that's the now. But the now is not the end. Uh, Micah's message comes in three cycles. Uh, uh, Oracles of condemnation uh, for the disobedience of Judah, a warning of impending destruction, but also a promise of God's deliverance. And so we're in the second cycle here and these chapters are really uh, the counterpoint to chapter 3's Oracle of Judgment. 
This is really about God's promise of deliverance. And it's the hope of God's deliverance that's going to give people the power to endure what's in front of them, invasion and exile. Let's have a look at these promises a bit more closely. Notice that this deliverance isn't in the now, it's in the future. It's, uh, as verse 1 says, in the last days. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the uh, highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Uh, This future really is a stunning reversal of what's happening now. Micah 3.12 says... uh, Zion is going to be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem and and the temple will be a heap of rubble. But then, in the last days, there'll be a new temple, a new Jerusalem, and that'll be lifted high. Uh, Last month, a five-month-old bird, uh, a a bar-tailed godwood, I think it's called, for those of you who know, Uh, and it flew 13,560 kilometres Uh, in 11 days without stopping. You can do the maths. It left Alaska on October the 13th and it landed down in north-east Tasmania on October the 24th. That's a cool nature story, right? But what's the point? Well, the point is it reminded me of God's uh, fierce love. Uh, Judas' sin is great, but God's love, his grace is so much greater it's relentless. It just keeps on going and going right past northeast Tasmania. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, a theologian in the, in the uh, 1500s and 1600s, called, God's judge, uh, uh, called judgment God's alien work, right? His alien work. And what he means is God doesn't delight in judgment. He judges because he is just and he is true. But what he delights in is mercy and grace in blessing. And so no matter what, that's what he's going to do. And God's love and mercy won't stop at Jerusalem. In the last days, verse 2, it's going to flood out to the nations. They will stream back to him in worship and experience the goodness of his reign. And then verse 3, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Uh, Judgment means different things in the scriptures. It can mean a a verdict of condemnation, but it can also mean putting things right. It can mean justice and equity, a restoration and healing. And that's what God's judgment means here, I think. In the last days, God's going to put the world back together. And so God's judgment here is good news. It's the best news. It means, verse 3, global peace. Have a listen. They will beat their swords into ploughshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. God's rule means that tanks will be turned into tractors, missiles and mines turned into mattocks. Imagine you're in a war-torn country like the Ukraine. How precious are these words? One day it will be finished. And this world peace, it won't happen because of humanity, because of us. 
Uh, we're not going to kind of finally wake up to ourselves and turn our backs in disgust on violence and bloodshed and greed and inequity. No, this peace is only going to happen through divine intervention. By the power of God, Micah says, he will judge, God will judge. In the last days, God himself will intervene in the world to bring lasting peace. Verse 4, it describes what this future peace will look like. Everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. God says it, it will happen. It's sitting in the shade by the pool, in your own backyard or on your balcony, cool drinking hand without a care in the world. What a lovely picture. Uh, the image is used in 1 Kings 4 and, it's described, and it describes God's abundant blessing to Israel at the height of King Solomon's reign. It's a picture of rest, of comfort, of security, of plenty, of freedom. That's what these promises are and they're so precious and they're words for God's people to lock away in their hearts as they face invasion and exile. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away, away, I'll make them a strong nation The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. There's a glorious future for the Lord's people beyond exile and judgment. That's what Micah is saying. Those who are crushed but still clinging to his promises in Babylon, my remnant, he calls them in verse 7, to them he says, I will bring you home. I will make you a strong nation. I will be with you. And you will be safe, not for a day or a season or a decade, but forever. And this is where the hope of God's people is anchored, in the future. That's the hope for God's people waiting on the other side of exile. It's a key phrase, isn't it, that? on the other side. On the other side. You see, it's important that God's people understand this, that these promises, as good as they are, they're not going to be fulfilled now, but in the then, in the last days, in the future, on the other side of judgement. It's so important for them to to know this because... When they're in Babylon, there's going to be times that they think God has abandoned them. There are going to be times that their suffering is so acute and so painful that it will feel feel like God has turned his face away forever. Feel like God has left the building completely. And in those times, they'll need to cling to these promises. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said this to God's people in exile in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3 from verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. 
I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him and his salvation. Brothers and sisters, we also need to hear and understand this as well. Because what is true for them is also true for us, this side of Jesus' return. We're not facing the same catastrophe, though we will face suffering. But we are, in a sense, as the Apostle Peter says, we're exiles, right? We're not home yet. Yes, some of God's promised blessings we get to experience now. Some we don't experience fully, we just get a bit of a taste, a bit of a glimpse of. And others, they're yet to come. And it's important we understand what God's promises for the now and what he promises for the then. Because if we expect or demand something from God that he doesn't promise, well, we can be bitter. We can end up doubting God's faithfulness and his love. Well, Israel's hope lies in the future, but it also lies in the Messiah. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Our Messiah is just uh, the Hebrew word for uh, king, And here Micah prophesies the birth of the Messiah, a child who will become the ruler, the king of Israel. And he's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem, which really is a small town and it's a bit of a a nowhere place. It's It's a backwater. But it's famous because that's where King David was born. And that's significant because he's the king to whom God promised this. I will establish your house and your kingdom forever. The child will be from this line, his house. And he won't be like the the other corrupt kings, the the leaders and the prophets we heard about last week. He won't be like them. No, his his reign is going to be in God's perfect justice and peace. And he won't just be a ruler for Israel. His rule will reach the ends of the earth. And these promises of God, a new future, a new Messiah, that's where Judah needs to place their ultimate hope for their welfare and security in those promises. Uh, There was a Jewish psychiatrist called Viktor Frankl and he wrote uh, a lot about hope and suffering in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Among other things, he Based his experience, based uh, he based his, his experiences. Uh, the book was written based on his experiences in the World War II Auschwitz uh, death camps. And in his book, he says this: 
What is to give light must endure burning. I take it he means the thing that we cling to, the thing that is going to bear our ultimate hope, it needs to be able to endure suffering, whatever it is and however it comes. And the thing is, nothing in this world can bear the weight of our ultimate hope. I do learn that the hard way. They put their hope in military strength, in political alliances, in material wealth, in other gods. But one by one, all of those were stripped away in exile, all gone. Well, what do we put our hope in? as a society. Our education, our ongoing progress, a scientific or humanistic solution to every single problem. Uh, do we put our hope in ongoing geopolitical peace and stability, a perpetually rising share market, economic uh, stability and prosperity uh, forever? Our own intellectual ability, our employability, our achievements, our reputation. Uh, There there are a lot of good things there but none of them can bear the weight of ultimate hope. There's only one place where our hope is completely secure and that's in the promises of God. His future, his Messiah. Well, God did send Judah into exile in 586 BC. And praise God, he brought them back in 538 BC uh, through the uh, Persian uh, ruler uh, Cyrus. Uh, Was that return, that return from exile, a a fulfilment of Micah's words here? Is that where we're looking? Well, yes, but also no. You see, the promises uh, in Micah uh, were much greater than anything actually realised in historical Israel, because when the exiles returned, there was no worldwide glory for Jerusalem. There were no nations kind of streaming in. Judah was still ruled by foreigners, the Romans and others. There was no messianic king. And so as the New Testament opens, uh, Israel is back in the land, but really they're still in spiritual exile, waiting on God's salvation. They were waiting for the birth of Jesus. Micah 5 verse 3, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's not Micah 5, that's Matthew 2. Verse 6, Micah's promises are fulfilled in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gathered the lame, the poor in spirit, the mourning, those who are brought to grief. That's the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those. He bound their wounds, he healed their hurts, he forgave their sins. He was the Messiah. 
He announced the arrival of God's kingdom in word and in deed and in his ministry he proclaimed, the exile has ended. God's tender mercy, his salvation has come in me. And at the cross he bore God's judgment on the sin of Israel, the curse of the exile, and he bore the sin of all humanity. He did it in our place. By his blood he bought forgiveness. That's what Jesus did. And in his resurrection he ushered in, he he started, he began the last days that Micah had prophesied. He began the new creation. Jesus poured out his spirit at Pentecost and he started to gather the nations to him, bringing them back to God. I don't know if you've read The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien and if you haven't, you should. And when the ring is destroyed at the end of the book, uh, the great evil has been defeated, the hobbit Sam turns to Gandalf and says, is everything sad going to come untrue. Yes. Yes, Sam, yes. Not in Middle Earth, but here. That's the promise of Micah fulfilled in Christ. And when Jesus returns, that new creation that he he ushered in will be revealed in all its glory. God's name will be lifted high. The whole world will be blessed by his wisdom. Everyone will live under their own vine and fig tree. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Christ will be perfect peace and all will be safe in his love forever. Sisters and brothers, that's where our ultimate hope is. Sometimes God's word demands action. Like last week, embrace justice, right? Other times, God's word is a promise for us to trust, for us to believe. And I think that's what God's word is for us today. God has blessed us so richly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of that blessing we get to experience now. The Bible says sin puts us in spiritual exile, right? Spiritual exile. And Ephesians 2.12 says sin means we are without hope and without God in the world. But in Jesus we're forgiven, we're reconciled, we're made God's children forever. And so now in Christ Jesus you were once far away, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a promise for now. That's a blessing for now. If you are here this afternoon and and you recognise yourself to be in spiritual exile, come. Jesus says, come and find mercy and forgiveness and new life. And if you want to do that, please speak to me or, or to Nat or to someone else that you know here. There are so many other blessings for now. But other blessings, well, now we just get a a taste, a glimpse, like the sun kind of peeking over the horizon at dawn. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Our German theologian, Helmut Thielicke, uh, he visited 
a wealthy German industrialist in Stuttgart during World War II. And uh, because of the Allied bombing, his mansion basically was a pile of rubble. However, there was kind of one tiny corner in the kitchen that miraculously was left untouched. And that's where uh, Tierlich's friend took him to have a bit of morning tea, I imagine. And there, a small table was set up with this beautiful white tablecloth and uh, this vase there with a single flourishing rose sticking in it. That's the kingdom of God now. A glimpse of the new creation, a taste of the new age in the ruins of the present one. Now we'll see glimpses of God's healing and his justice. Now we get to be agents of it as teachers, as surgeons, as as GPs, as social workers, as bankers, as advocates, as physicists, as engineers and as gospel workers. We get to see that. We get to be part of that. But we're not home yet. And so some of God's promises are in the future. They'll come when Jesus returns, when we're raised with our resurrection bodies to eternal life. On that day, all the nations will kneel in worship before God. On that day, all injustice and violence and sin, it will end. On that day, uh, the Lord will bind every wound and he'll heal every heart. He will wipe away the tears from all faces and death will be swallowed up forever. On that day... If you're here uh, this afternoon and you're suffering, I hope these words are a comfort to you. For some of you, though, the fact that we have to wait until then, that might be really hard to hear. Then can feel like a long time away. Uh, When I was going through a difficult time in my life, a a good friend of mine, Marg, sent me a card. Her husband had just died of a brain tumour and in the card she sent me, she wrote this. uh, Let me encourage you both to allow your friends and family to support you in any way they can. Hang on to every promise in the Bible and even stick them up everywhere to remind you. And that's just what I did. Promises like this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Look, God's dwelling place is now among among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. As we wait on God together, let's support each other in any way that we can. Let's pray for a powerful hope in these promises until our Saviour and Lord brings us home.
Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for these wonderful and powerful promises. We thank thank you that you have brought glory to yourself and brought us into your family, given us the promise of a resurrection in your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as your people, help us cling on to those promises uh, through whatever suffering we face so that we might live to serve you until Jesus returns. In his name we pray. Amen.